Now, brothers and sisters, if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to take it out with us and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. You can also grab one of those Bibles on the pew in front of you. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Today we will finish out chapter 4 in our trek through this wonderful book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 4, starting in verse 14 here in just a moment. Now, some of you are too young to remember this, but in 1996, there was a movie that came out that some of us might have seen called Multiplicity. You seen this, this show? With Michael Keaton, Multiplicity. The idea of the movie is this. Michael Keaton's a guy who's so busy, he doesn't have enough hours in the day to get done all that he has to get done. He's got a demanding job. He's got a big family. He's got all these responsibilities. He just can't catch up. And so, he gets desperate. And then he meets this guy who apparently has invented human cloning. And he clones himself. He creates another one of himself so that he can be in in two places at once. You ever wanted to do this? You ever felt like, I'm just so busy this week, I need another me to do all the stuff that I can't do to be in two places at once. But he does it, and he thinks it's going to make life easier, it's going to solve all the problems, but it actually doesn't. And so compounding the problem, he creates another one. And then another one, and pretty soon he realizes he is in over his head. And he's got all kinds of problems because there's four of him running around, and not all four of them act the same. There's all kinds of hilarity that ensues. But the idea is he wants to produce more of himself because he he can't get everything done. Now, in years gone by, in America and the rest of the world, people lived in societies where everyone depended on their own ability to provide food for themselves and their family. And so in in decades past, people used to want to have as many kids as possible. The more, the better. Why? Well, because more kids meant more farmhands, right? More kids meant more workers on the farm, especially as the parents were getting old. But even as we're not like that today, parenting is essentially reproducing yourself. That's what parenting is. For those of us who are parents, we we know what this means. It's not just in the having of children. Of course, when you have children, you're reproducing yourself in a sense, but not just in the having of children, the raising of children. We're reproducing ourselves. We're trying to produce in them what we want to pass along, mom and dad. Now, yes, there, there are traits that you don't want to pass on, right? There are ways that I hope my kids don't become like me, my vices, my weaknesses. But for the most part, parenting is us trying to produce ourselves in them, to reproduce ourselves. So I want to pass on the work ethic that my parents gave to me. I want to pass on to my kids the same values. I want to see them grow up and treat others like my wife and I try to treat others. I want to pass on my knowledge and abilities. Even in the way that we build wealth, in part we're doing it so that we can pass it on. We want our kids to grow up and be certain kinds of people. We're trying to reproduce ourselves in them. Parenting is reproducing yourself in another. Well, today, as I read through our text, I want you to think about that theme of reproducing yourself and see if you can see it in Paul's words to us and God's words to us from 1 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 14. I'll read down to verse 21. Paul writes, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. 
For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out, not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod, or with love, and a spirit of gentleness? Now, if you remember in Genesis chapter 1, very beginning of the Bible, the very beginning of all creation, God says to Adam and Eve, the first two human beings to ever walk the earth, be fruitful and multiply, right? Fill the earth and subdue it. Have kids. And then when your kids grow up, they need to have kids. Fill the earth. Be fruitful and multiply. Well, as we read our text today, I see another call to be fruitful and multiply from God to us. Not physically this time, but spiritually. Be fruitful and multiply. Reproduce yourself spiritually. Look at this language that Paul uses. Look back in the text one more time with me. Let me show you where we get this. Verse 14, he calls the Corinthian believers his beloved children. And then in verse 15, he says, Although you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And then in verse 17, when he talks about Timothy, he calls Timothy his beloved and faithful child in the Lord. Spiritual reproduction. Paul's talking about how he has reproduced himself in others. And so we ask this morning, how does this work? What is this reproducing of ourselves? How do we do this like Paul did it? Well, there's two primary ways that every believer can reproduce themselves in another person. Two primary ways. The first is this. When you help someone else come to Christ. You can reproduce yourself, if you're a believer this morning, in someone else when you help someone else come to believe in Christ, to know the Lord, and to be saved. Let me ask you a question this morning. Think back. If you're a Christian today, who is your spiritual father? Or perhaps we might say your spiritual mother. Who's the one who helped lead you to Christ? Perhaps it's multiple people. Who is your spiritual father and mother in the Lord? Perhaps for many of us it might be our earthly parents. They're not only our earthly parents, they're our spiritual parents. If you're like me, your, your parents raised you in the Lord. And they introduced you to Jesus and to the gospel. Or perhaps you didn't grow up in a Christian home. Perhaps it was someone else, a friend, a, another family member, a co-worker. Who is your spiritual father or mother? For most of us, I think this would be a combination of a few people. For example, as I said just then, my parents raised me in the Lord. I was absolutely blessed, absolutely blessed to have been raised in a Christian home with parents who knew God and introduced me to Scripture, to Christ, and to the importance of the local church. And then when I was 13, the minister of that church started taking an interest in me. I was really into sports back then, and he was a weightlifter. He was very good at it, actually. And he started taking me weightlifting and teaching me how to weightlift. I was, I was trying to prepare for basketball and football. And looking back, I didn't realize it then, but his main goal was not to teach me to weightlift, but to share the gospel with me. 
Now I understand why we spent so much time talking and so little time weightlifting. He taught me right, but he was mainly trying to affect me for Jesus. And it, it didn't take too long before I knew I needed to come to the Lord. And I confessed Christ and was baptized by that same minister. And he became, in a sense, my father in the faith, just as my father and mother are my spiritual parents as well as my physical. And so who's that for you? And think about this. Were it not for those people, you might not be saved today at all. Were it not for that person, those people, you might not even be a Christian today. And you can do that for someone else. In fact, God is calling you to do it for someone else. Perhaps it's a neighbor, or a co-worker, or a good friend, or a family member. Parents, God is calling you to do this for your children. You might, you might be afraid of this. How could I lead someone else to Christ? But it's very simple. All you have to do is love the Lord and talk about it. That's all you have to do. Introduce someone to the Lord that you know. Perhaps this starts with a simple prayer this morning. God, would you... Use me to help someone else become a Christian. You want that this morning? You want to pray that prayer? If you call yourself a Christian this morning and you don't want that, something has gone wrong. But do you want it? Can we pray that prayer this morning all together? God, use me to bring someone to Jesus. Would you do that, God? Would you... In some small way, I don't even know how, use me to help bring someone else to Christ. Every now and then I'll meet a young couple that tells me, you know, we don't want to have kids. And I don't say it like this, but I just want to look at them and say, you do realize that if your mom and dad didn't have kids, you wouldn't be alive, right? You, you do realize this. And yet they don't want to have kids. How could we as Christians not want to pass on our faith, not want to reproduce ourselves with all that we have received in Christ, with all that we have received that we do not deserve, with all of the ways that God has put people in our path to help us to know Him, how could we not want to reproduce ourselves, to pass that along? Now, I said there were two ways. That's one way. One way is helping someone come to Christ. But the second way is what we call discipling someone. You're intentionally passing along your faith to someone that you were not their spiritual father or mother. You did not help them come to Christ, but you're intentionally passing along your faith to them, discipling. You see, some parents in this world, some parents have biological children, and some parents have adopted children. Some parents have both, right? But both biological and adopted children are children who need parents passing along their wisdom caring for them and loving them. And so you can still pass on your faith to others, even if you weren't the one that brought them to Christ. You can still be an adoptive mother or father in Christ to someone else as you disciple them. Now, again, you might be sitting there saying, I can't disciple anybody. How, how am I supposed to do this? This, again, is very simple. Very simple. When I disciple someone, this is all I do. I do two things. I meet with that person regularly. Maybe it's once a week, once every two weeks or whatever. 
meet with them regularly, and as we meet, that's our intentional time to talk about spiritual things. We study the Bible together, we pray together, perhaps we're reading a book together and talking about it, we're talking about our lives and what's going on spiritually. It's an intentional time to come and talk about the things of the Lord and for me to intentionally pass along my faith, but then I do something else. I try to cultivate a friendship with that person and be around them and rub off on them. And that's it. That's discipling someone. You, you, you hang out with a person and you just try to rub off on them. Think about the way Jesus did discipleship to the disciples. That's where we get the word discipleship or discipling. Jesus calls 12 men, come follow me, and they're with him. And he intentionally teaches them at times. Other times they're just hanging out and they're catching things from him. The interruptions of life and the things that God puts in their path provide opportunities for Jesus to just rub off on his disciples as they spend time with him. Discipling, helping someone know and follow Jesus is easy. And the only requirement in all of this is that you know and love the Lord. And you want other people to know and love the Lord too. You don't have to know a lot about the Bible. You don't have to be an expert. You certainly don't have to be a minister. My dream for the Columbia Christian Church is to have a church full of people who have been discipled and are discipled. A church full of people doing this. And it doesn't take the minister to do it. We can all do this. And so in the same way as, as we pray for God, help me to, to be used of you to bring someone else to Christ, would we also pray this morning, God, would you put someone in my path? Is there someone in my life that I can begin intentionally passing along my faith to? That I can begin discipling? Think about this. This is a charge that God has given every single Christian. This is not for the elite. This is not for the super Christians, the ones who really, really, really love God. It's a charge for every single one of us. Think about the Great Commission. What does Jesus tell us to do? Go out and make disciples. Disciples making disciples. Now, I also want you to, I also want you to see verses 16 and 17 because there's an important point here that we cannot miss. Verses 16 and 17. We'll start with 16. Paul says, I urge you then, be imitators of me. Be imitators of me. You see, in family-oriented societies, like the one that Paul is living in in those days, sons imitated the vocation of their fathers. And so if your father was a carpenter, you were probably destined to become a carpenter. If your father was a metal worker, you would grow up and learn the trade from your father. He would pass it down, and you would become a metal worker. If your father was a cobbler, he worked on shoes and sold shoes, you would learn his trade and follow in his footsteps. And Paul says, imitate me, spiritually. Imitate me. He says the same thing in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Paul's saying, I imitate Christ, you imitate me. I'll show you how to imitate Christ as I imitate him. Or Philippians 4, 9 to the Philippian church. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So Paul's saying to these churches, chase after Christ like I do. Study the Bible and pray like I do. Talk like I do. Act like I do. Reproduce 
like I do. Share the gospel and make disciples like I do. Now, Paul could say this with a clear conscience. Imitate me. Can we? Can you say to another Christian, imitate me with a clear conscience this morning? How long have you been a Christian? Let's think about this for a second. How long have you been a Christian? For those of you who have been a Christian for a good while, how many of us by now should be able to say, imitate me? And yet we feel like we cannot. In Hebrews 5.12, the Hebrew writer says, by this time you ought to be teachers. Well, for many of us, by this time you ought to be able to say, imitate me with a clear conscience. Now this does not mean that you're perfect. None of us are. You might be sitting there saying, how in the world, John, could I tell someone to imitate me? I'm a sinner. I'm sinful. Well, it's not about being perfect. But as we grow in holiness, we should also grow in the ability to tell someone else, I'm going to show you how to do this. I'm going to help you follow Jesus. I'm going to give you a flesh and blood example of how to imitate Christ. As I try to follow him, you can follow me and I'll help you do this. But you have to have a consistency in your public and private life to be able to say this with a clear conscience. A consistency in your public and your private life. You ever seen a parent that's what what I would call a do-as-I-say-not-as-I-do parent? They tell their kids, kids, do as I say, don't do as I do. Well, the kids see right through that. Because, Dad, if it's not not important enough for you to give that up for yourself, then, then why should I do it? It's just a hypocrite telling me not to do what they're doing. Kids see right through that kind of thing. Do as I say, not as I do. It's about consistency. The same is true in our spiritual lives. If you're going to be able to say, imitate me to someone else, you have to have a consistent life, both in public and in private. Are you genuinely seeking the Lord and seeking to grow in holiness? Are you genuinely chasing after God and after Christ? If so, you can say to someone else, imitate me even as I do this imperfectly. But a person who is showing up to church consistently but living a different life Monday through Saturday will never be able to say, imitate me. Now look at verse 17. Paul says he sent them Timothy. I sent you Timothy my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ. And so what Paul's saying is, I'm going to send you someone who is imitating me so you can see what it's like to imitate me as I imitate Christ. I'm going to send Timothy to you as an extension of myself because Paul has passed it on to Timothy. He's reproduced himself in another, and Paul is confident that when Timothy gets there, Timothy's going to be an extension of him. You know, one of the movies that I like to watch and rewatch all the time is the, the Sherlock Holmes movies with Robert Downey Jr. You ever seen these? Robert Downey Jr. is Sherlock Holmes and Jude Law. Well, in the second one, it's Sherlock Holmes versus this evil genius, Professor James Moriarty. If you've ever read the Sir Arthur Conan Doyle books, he's a prominent character in those. But Professor Moriarty is so smart, the only one who can stop him is Sherlock Holmes. And at the end, Professor Moriarty is planning a murder at this global peace summit with lots of different countries and their ambassadors. He's planning for a murder to happen, and the chain reaction to that murder is going to be global war, and Professor Moriarty is going to benefit from it financially. Okay? Well, Holmes has figured it out, and so he shows up with Dr. Watson to this global peace summit, 
He's, he's got a way in because his brother's high up in the British, mili- or the British government. But as he gets there, he does something interesting. He, he lures Professor Moriarty away from the crowd where the murder's supposed to happen to eventually where, where Holmes and Professor Moriarty are outside playing chess. And the, the murder's supposed to be happening inside, but Sherlock Holmes isn't even there to stop it. And Professor Moriarty asks him about it, and Sherlock Holmes says, I may not be present in the room, but my methods are not absent. Why? Because Dr. Watson's still there. He's left Dr. John Watson to solve the crime on his own, and he's confident Dr. Watson will do it because he has reproduced himself in Dr. Watson. Dr. Watson knows his methods, and lo and behold, that's what happens. Dr. Watson solves the crime without Holmes ever being in the room. Well, Timothy is Paul's extension, just like Watson is of Holmes. Paul is sending Timothy to them as an extension of himself, as a proxy, and saying, look at him, and he's going to pass along my teaching and my ways. You can imitate him just like you would me. In 2 Timothy, a letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, a letter that shows us how much he was a beloved child in the faith to Paul, in 2 Timothy 2.2, Paul writes to Timothy and says this, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses... In trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. In that one verse, we see Paul to Timothy, Timothy to faithful men, and faithful men teaching others also. They're reproducing themselves, they're discipling, they're passing along their faith intentionally. And brothers and sisters, this is how Christianity spreads. This is how Christianity has always spread. Think of Jesus and the Twelve. Jesus' plan to change the world was not for him to speak to all the crowds and for him to remain as long as he could and squeeze every minute out of this life that he could. No, Jesus' plan was twelve men. Twelve men who would then go out when Jesus was gone, who would then go out as extensions of Jesus himself, and those disciples would make disciples. And then those disciples would make disciples, and those disciples would make disciples. And you can see the exponential growth. This is how Christianity spreads, disciples making disciples. And every single one of us is called to it. Think about the Great Commission. Jesus gave that to every single believer. If you're a Christian today, you're called to go and make disciples. You're a disciple, go make other disciples. Now that this has happened for decades, for thousands of years, we have millions of Christians all over the world. Did you know Christian is a word that actually just means little Christ? You've got a bunch of little Jesuses walking around the world showing everybody else what it means to follow Jesus, and to imitate Jesus. That's what we're doing. Little Christ. Parents, your kids are like little you, right? I, I hope my son is like a little me. We are little Christs. We're trying to imitate him to the rest of the world. The gospel is a call to follow Christ and to be like him. If you're here this morning and you've never followed, would you this morning put your faith in Jesus? Would you decide to follow Jesus this morning and become one of his disciples? But if you have become a Christian this morning, The gospel is also a call to reproduce and to make disciples 
The Lord has charged you with reproducing yourself in others and saying to them, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Here for the next few moments, we're going to have a time of silent prayer for you to respond to the Lord's word to you this morning, for you to respond to the Holy Spirit working on your heart this morning. During this time of silent prayer, we ask every single one of us to respond to God's word, however that means for you. And then after that time of silent prayer is over, we're going to have a time where people can respond publicly if they feel they need to do so this morning. But before we get there, let's respond privately in prayer for just a few moments.